Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. We're going to look at that in a moment, but I want to remind you, last week we started our mini-series on identity, and we looked at how our name plays a big part of our identity. We examined the life of Jacob and how God changed his name from Jacob, which means what? Can anybody remember? Deceiver, schemer, heel holder. And so he was someone that cheated, and he actually deceived his brother, his twin brother. He deceived his blind old father, and he was just constantly doing that. He had deceived Laban as well. But when he was coming back to his land, his hometown, because God told him to, there was this man that came and wrestled with him, which was God and literally popped his hip out of place. And he was still fighting, still holding on. And God says, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means one who is governed by God. And so it's God who defines us and who we are. He gives us our truest identity. And in Christ, we become new creations. I said this last time, but it's worth repeating again. We can't see ourselves truly until we first see the Lord. We have to come to terms with God, with Jesus Christ. And once we do that, then we can come to terms with ourselves. And so we are continuing part two of this series in identity, who we are and what makes up a person's identity. Um. Something I didn't share last week that I wanted to share, which kind of is a random thought, but for those that don't know, I think it's kind of cool to see how how people get their names. For me, my parents didn't name me when I was born. When I was born, my parents were expecting a girl. So they had a girl name picked out, and it was Kylie. (laughs) And so all of a sudden when I came out, I'm like, he's a boy. They're like, we don't have a name for him. What should we name him? My older brother jumps in and says, we should name him Josh, because Josh was one of his best friends at that time. And he goes, his name should be Joshua Todd. And that's how I got my name. So my middle name is Todd, so, which is my dad's name, so it's Joshua Todd Collins. And it's kind of just interesting. Maybe some of you have been named after a TV show. I know somebody whose name was Dallas, and they were named after the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, different things like that. So everybody has a unique story of how they got their names and how their names play a part in their identity that God gave them. But today, we're going to look at the body and how our body is a big part of our identity. So I want to go over these four lies we mentioned last week because these are important for us to remember and reiterate. Lie number one, you are what you feel. The world will tell you, you are what you feel. So if you feel this way, that's who you are. And that is a lie because sometimes I feel like a failure. Have you guys ever been there before? I felt like a failure. Does that mean I'm a failure? No, that is not true. My feelings can deceive me. Lie number two, you are what you have. You are not what you have. What you have is just possessions. That it does not define your identity. Lie number three, You are what you do. Some of us, we find our worth and our value in our intelligence and in our achievements. That's not the case. 
Maybe you are a straight-A student, and that's kind of part of your identity. You're getting good grades all the time. I wasn't a straight-A student. I'm really curious what my grades would have been in public school. I have no idea. I don't even remember my grades growing up. And maybe you put your identity in your achievements. You are not what you do. And lie number four is you are what other people say or think you are. That's not true either. You are more than what other people say you are, okay? People's visions, their eyes are distorted because their heart is. And so what they see is not the proper outlook. It's what God sees that matters. Who you are determines what you do. So if I'm a sinner, I will continue on sinning. But if God has transformed my heart and has gotten a hold of me, I will sin less and less and less. And as a Christian, he's changed and transformed my life. He has made me from darkness into light, from a child of the devil to a child of God. He has completely changed and transformed my identity. And so it's easy for me to love people because it's Christ loving people through me. Who you are determines what you do. Now, maybe you've heard this before. Some people might say, you need to look within to find your identity. No, you do not need to look within your own heart to find out who you are. You need to look up. All of us need to look up to God first and foremost. And I would say, look to the past. Why? Because it's the past where we actually find our identity. Joe Foch, he said this, a generation that has forgotten their history is a generation that has lost their identity. When you choose to forget about the past, when people demolish monuments and different things to, to blur out the past, that is not good. We need to remember the past, everything about it. Not just the good, not just the bad. The past helps us understand. The thing is, people choose to forget and choose to not believe that God created us in his image. And that is so important to understanding our identity. And that's why I want to go back to the book of Genesis, because Genesis is not only part of our history, it also helps us to understand our identity and how our bodies play a part to our identity. So let's look at this passage. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. You have the triune God talking. This is, you get a glimpse of a conversation. <laughs> According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him female, and male, he created them. So here we have the creation account. The first three days of creation, God is actually forming everything. The next three days of creation, he starts filling everything. I want you to know something. You and I are not a cosmic accident. You, are not, you and I are not a byproduct of evolution or the Big Bang. 
all these chemicals didn't come colliding, and then all of a sudden it formed the earth, and then we grew from clay, and then we grew from monkeys into humans. No. That is not the truth. There is no evidence supporting that. They might say it's evidence, but it's not. See, you and I are God's chief creation. You might be wondering, if we're so important, then why did God create us last? Because you saved the best for last, right? Do you guys plan out your meals? Like when I'm eating a burger, I actually plan out the last bite because I want it to be a delicious bite. I don't want it to be all bun like or like with lettuce or just tomato. I want the last bite to be well balanced and to end on a good note and you're just like, yes, that was so satisfying. Or maybe like the last bite of dessert. Who does this? Anybody? All right, okay, sweet. I'm not alone. You saved the best for last. And see, God created space. He created the stars. He created the planet. He created water. He created mountains. He created all these living animals too. And then that was the home for us as humans. Then he created mankind in his image. And if we are to know who we are, it first begins knowing we are made in the image of God. What do you guys think it means to be made in the image of God? This is an important question to understand. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Do you think it's, we look like God and God has two ears, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, hair, or lack of hair? To show his love. To show his love. But what does it mean to be made in his image? To reflect him. To reflect him. Okay, I like that. To be righteous. To be, his, to be righteous, okay. Like, to have emotions. To have emotions like he does, nice. Here's a good question to help us understand this better. What are some ways, or what are some reasons humans are different than animals? We have sapiens. Okay, raise your hand. We got thumbs. We got thumbs, but monkeys have thumbs. But they got weird. They got weird thumbs? <laughs> Monkeys got weird thumbs. That's what sets us apart. I like that. It's funny. We have souls. We have souls. Sorry, guys. Animals don't go to heaven. Um, <laughs> some of you guys are angry. But they don't have souls. They don't go to heaven. Okay? How else are animals different from us? We can talk. We talk. We can communicate. Animals can't communicate. They can communicate with each other somewhat, but they can't tell us how they're feeling. You can't go up to your dog and be like, how are you feeling? It doesn't do it. Like I had a dog. I had uh, a coyote as a dog for a while, and then I had a husky. And this husky's name was um, Rory, and she would just roar back and go, and I would do that back to her, and it sounded like we were having a conversation, but it was gibberish. You can't have a conversation with a dog. So you talk. We have a conscience. We have a conscience. Ooh, I like that. We have the ability to discern right and wrong. Right. We have dogs. We got jobs. I don't know. Some, we put horses to work, right? We put uh, different animals to work back in the day. They had jobs somewhat, but they didn't get paid. They got food, and that's about it. We're civilized. Civilized, yeah. <laughs> True. If you guys are taking notes, here's what sets us apart from animals. First, number one, morality. Now, you might be wondering, what is this big word? This is the ability to know what is right and what is wrong. This is what sets us apart. When you have a dog, 
and it's growing up, it doesn't know right from wrong. So when it pees on the carpet and you go, bad dog, don't do that. It's looking at you like, don't do what? It, it doesn't know right and wrong. And then it does it again. And you're like, and you squirt it with a water, like a hose or whatever. You're like, bad dog, don't do that. And then the dog is like, okay, I guess I shouldn't do that. It doesn't know right from wrong. You can't teach it moral behavior. It's impossible. You and I have the capacity to understand right from wrong. Number two, intellectuality, uh, to be intellects, to have a brain, to think logically about stuff, to understand things. See, it's interesting because the world, and even TV and movies, and even Disney shows, will paint humans as being cavemen. <gasps> fire. <gasps> and then like, they, oh, what is fire? Biblically, there was no cavemen. Cavemen paints humanity as growing in uh, intelligence. God created us in such a way where we had intelligence. Uh, Adam, he named all the animals. He created us as intelligent human beings, not as cavemen. Spirituality. This is important. You know why? I want you to look at Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word creates is a cool, unique Hebrew word, which is the word bara. It's to create something from nothing. And so literally in the first verse, God creates time, he creates space, and he creates matter because those three things cannot exist outside of one another. You know the next time it's used? In verse 21. It says, God created the sea creatures and every living thing that moves. So he created, something wasn't in creation, life. And so he created animals and he brought life into existence. But we see this word used again in this passage here, when he created human beings. So you had life, you had time, space, and matter, all in existence. But there was something that wasn't there that God brought into existence. And that was the spiritual aspect of humanity. You know what makes us different? Is animals cannot have a relationship with God. You and I get to have a relationship with God. That is powerful. We get to talk with him. He gets to talk with us. Spirit. We also have a will. We have the ability to choose. You mentioned it earlier, emotion. We have the ability to have emotion. You might think, well, animals have emotion. Yeah, not to the extent that we do. And then also a body, mind and spirit, or body, soul and spirit. All these characteristics we even see looking at God. God has an intellect. You look at creation, it's designed specifically. It's so fascinating. Everyone was freaking out in California that we were in this drought, right? On the news, everyone's like, oh, we got to save water, we're in this drought, please don't water your lawns and all this other stuff. In one winter, this past winter, all the dams have been full, filled. Lakes have been filled. In one winter. Water doesn't just randomly disappear off the face of the planet, guys. The way God created the world, it's sustained. It evaporates and goes somewhere else. It's part of the process. And you might have to wait and be patient because... Creation's not going to just constantly exist in the same rotation. 
there's, it's not, the weather today, a year from now, is not going to be the same weather, which is so funny because the Weather Channel, like, well, the rainy season is way different than last year. Well, it's going to be different every year. You just want to report something. God has a will. He chose to create us. I want to I point something out here because I think this is something we need to understand. God does not need you. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He didn't have to create us. He chose to create us. He wanted to create us. He doesn't need us, but guess what? He wants us. And it's better, it's better to be wanted than to be needed. Wouldn't you guys agree? If someone says, I need you to be in my life, if a guy says that, mm -mm. wants better. I want you to be a part of my life. Because that speaks of something more than a need. Because I need to eat to survive. I need water. God doesn't need us to survive. He wants us. God has emotion. We see righteous anger. He's grieved by sin. He has a personality. He created morality. And God is spirit. David Guzik says, In our image does not mean that God has a physical body or a human body. God is spirit. Though God does not have a physical body, he designed man so his physical body could do many of the things God does. See, hear, smell, touch, think, plan, and so forth. See, it's so interesting because if you look at this room and all the people in this room, each one of us reflect God differently. God is so vast and mysterious and complex that it takes billions of people, thousands of languages, and countless cultures even to start to get a glimpse of everything that he is. That's how amazing our God is. Now, in talking about our identity and who we are, it's important to distinguish who we are not, okay? In discovering your identity, who you are is important, but who you are not is just as important. Now, do you guys all know what a theory is? What is a theory? Can anybody explain it to me? It's an idea, correct. The dic uh, dictionary definition is this, a formal set of ideas that ex uh, tend to explain why something has happened. I want you guys to know something because this is, in my opinion, crucial. A theory is a set of ideas. It's not a set of facts. A theory is a set of ideas, not a set of facts. Shh, quiet. I didn't call on you. Let's go back. I don't know what happened. There we go. So, can anybody give me an example of a theory? Even if it's a conspiracy theory. That 9-11 was staged. That's a, that is a theory. Some people believe that 9-11 was staged. And there's all these documentaries on um, YouTube. And someone started watching that on my YouTube channel. So all these recommended feeds started posting up. I was like, dang it, man. Evolution. Evolution. See, this is something interesting, guys. Your schools will teach it as a fact. It is a theory. It's a set of ideas. It is not fact. 
They have not found a human being transitioning from a monkey to a human being. There is no evidence for that. Barack Obama was an alien. The, the, apparently that is a theory. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Uh, the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory, right? Evolution. That the moon landing. The moon landing. That, the government did that. It was filmed in Hollywood. And that's not real, guys. That's a theory. Oh, in the back? What was that? The pyramids were built by aliens, right? So there's all these types of theories. These are ideas, not facts. Now, people will believe anything as long as it's not God. This is something you have to know. Man will try to come up with every possible idea so they do not have to believe in God and be accountable to him. If your friends, family do, don't want to believe in God, it's because they do not want to be accountable. They do not want to be judged. They don't want to be held to a standard. They want to be their own God. And that is dangerous. I want to point something out here. I want you to notice in this verse, these two verses, that only God made two kinds of people, male and female. He did not create gender identity. That is man's twisted invention, and it is man's theory. I want you to know this. Gender identity is a theory created by man, not a set of facts. To let you guys know who created it, does anybody even know who created the term gender identity? See, this is interesting. Nobody knows where this term came from, but everyone is using it, and that is scary. The term gender identity came from this guy, Dr. John Money. Now, just because someone has a doctor in front of their name does not mean you should trust them, okay? You need to compare everything to God's word. Just because they're a counselor doesn't mean you should trust them. Just because they have a doctorate in front of their name doesn't mean you should trust them. Because they might have a different agenda and they might have a different worldview. If they believe that God didn't create everything and that we came from the Big Bang or evolution, that actually distorts their view on every other thing. They're going to view your problems in a different light. This guy, Dr. John Money, I can't even talk to you about the things that he did. If I were to ask you guys, how many of you guys would follow a pedophile? Sounds kind of like a weird question. This guy is a pedophile. He has done many dark and evil things, and he should have gone to prison for the stuff he did to people and to kids. Yet the whole entire world is following this man's idea, his theory. And it's scary. That's why it is so important to find your identity rooted in God's design. You and I are not a cosmic accident. You and I were crafted and created by our Heavenly Father. Every aspect of us. See, there is this movement now within our generation where they want to split the body from the person. Your person is different from your body. No, no, no. They are the one and the same. 
Your body is part of your identity. I'm going to read from this article from Stand to Reason, which is a Christian organization. And this guy, Jonathan, wrote this. He said, There has been a separation of the body and the person. For example, activists argue that biology has nothing to do with gender identity. That the rationale of this is that our bodies are nothing more than a product of blind physical forces of evolution. They believe that our body has no value. It's just blind forces of evolution forming us. What do you think might happen when we stop valuing the human body? Naming will be celebrated. Man will be celebrated? I mean, like, maybe, you know, people would basically start to distort their own human bodies for their own sake. So you're correct. People will start distorting their human bodies for their own sake, making themselves God and say, I can do whatever I want with my body. When we stop valuing the human body, it's dangerous. Boyce, he said this, although made in God's image and ordained to be increasingly more like God to whom they look, men and women have turned their backs on God. And since they will not look up towards God, in which is their privilege and duty, they actually look down to the beasts and so become increasingly like them. When we refuse to look at God, we will look at the beasts and become more like them. This article by uh, Jonathan continues. Therefore, our bodies have no supreme, heavenly, or supernatural purpose. They are merely physical bodies. This leads to the idea that our bodies should be brought into alignment with our minds and never the other way around. i got to repeat that. He says, this idea leads to that our bodies should be brought into alignment with our minds and never the other way around. The world will tell you, don't change your mind, don't transform your mind, instead transform your body. Transform your body so that you, that way you can be happy. God is opposite. God says, no, Change your mind and transform your mind and not your body. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercies, he says, in light of God's forgiveness, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and Proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, God wants you to know his desire for creation. He wants you to know his desire for your life, your calling. But it starts with transforming our mind. I like how the J.B. Phillips translation puts it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. How does God remold our minds from within? Through the word of God. As we dive into this, and the word of God enters into our body, it changes and transforms our mind from the inside out. That's why I encourage you, 
So not only come on Wednesdays, not only come on Sundays, get into God's word by yourself. If you call yourself a Christian, but you aren't getting into God's word outside of Sundays or Wednesdays or when you come to church, can you imagine only talking to your parents once a week for an hour? And that's it. Some of you are like, oh, that'd be amazing. (laughs) That's no relationship. If you actually call yourself a Christian, you have a relationship with God, you need to communicate with God. And maybe you pray, but is God communicating to you? And the way he does that is through his word. If you're taking notes, I would write this down. Your body doesn't need modification. Your mind needs transformation. Your body does not need to be modified. Your mind needs to be transformed from the inside out because we have a sinful nature and our sinful nature is what the world is identifying with. We have all these sinful desires and this sinful outlook and they said, this is who I am. I'm not gonna change. And see, this is the problem. The gospel is offensive, guys. The good news of Jesus Christ literally tells you and I that we're bad people. How many of you guys like being told you're a bad person? No, really, put your hand down. None of us like being told we're a bad person. None of us like being told, oh, you screwed up. None of us like being told we're a sinner. It hurts, but that's the truth. We are all sinners in need of God's grace and saving. And see, this is the problem. The world says, I am not a sinner. This is who I am. Well, it actually is who you are because you are a sinner. We need saving, saving from our sin and saving from ourselves. Our world around us today has a very low view of the human body. We need to elevate that view once again. We are not a product of evolution or the Big Bang. We are designed by God. In other words, guys, your body has more importance than just this life. Your body is godly. Your body is heavenly, has a purpose beyond this life. Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist is contemplating creation, and he says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you would visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Even though we're made a little lower than the angels, did you know that angels, they don't watch Netflix They don't watch YouTube. Angels watch you and us. They actually get popcorn like, dude, let's watch Josh's life right now. (laughs) My gosh, did you see what just Josh did then? Like they actually, scripture says they look into us because we are perplexing to them. Because guess what? You and I, we're made in the image of God. Angels are not. You and I are redeemable. The angels are not. Satan doesn't get another chance. He doesn't get another choice. He made up his choice. Thankfully, we get second chances, right? Thankfully, God gives us multiple chances over and over and over. That is his goodness. That is his grace. But angels look at us with perplexity because God died on the cross for us. God didn't die on the cross for angels. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. I quoted this last week, but I think it's worth repeating. For you are formed, 
For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. We are made uniquely, each and every one of us. You are handcrafted by God. Your fingerprint, your DNA, your facial structure, your eye, your hair, your skin color, your personality, everything has been crafted by God. He loves us. Our bodies are a big part of who we are, a big part of our identity. Jonathan, in his article, goes on to quote this gay right activist, and she said, we have absolute claim to our bodies that we may do with them as we see fit, end quote. That is not the true story of reality. We are not our own, and therefore we are not free to do whatever we want with our bodies. We bear the image of another. This image is what gives us super supreme and heavenly and supernatural value and dignity. The ownership of that image belongs to God. There's a cool story in Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew 22, all of a sudden, there is these Pharisees, and I think some Sadducees, they were trying to trick Jesus with all these different questions. And all of a sudden, one of the homies comes up and they're like, dude, I got a question. This is going to stump Jesus. They're like, what is it? They're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Go ask him. And he comes over and he goes, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. And he goes, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And all of his friends are fist bumping him like, yeah, good job. That's a good question, man. We've, we've got him. We, got, we stumped Jesus. And this is what he says. Well, he actually asks, hey, who has a coin? Can I see a coin really quick? Can you show me some money? This is, no, I'm just kidding. This is what Jesus is saying. He asked for a coin. And this is, he said, whose image is on the inscription? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said, render therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And literally the guy just hangs his head and walks away. He goes, man, <laughs> Jesus was so wise. But the reason I want to point this out is because on every coin was the impression of Caesar. On every human being is the impression of God. And this is the point Jesus is making. He says, give to Caesar, the government, the things that belong to them, and to God, the things that belong to him. Every single one of us are made in his image. Therefore, we belong to him. So give your bodies over to the Lord. That is what he is saying here. If you guys would look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God goes on to say, then God blessed them. He blessed Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the living things that move on the earth. Part of being human is having desires. We have this desire to eat food, which maybe some of you guys are hungry. Maybe you have, we have this desire to drink water, but we also have a sexual desire. All these desires are good and were created by God, but these desires have been distorted and destroyed by Satan. That's his job. He is the destroyer. Here's a quote that I found very powerful that I would like you guys to write down. It was mentioned by Leah Rose, and she said, sexual desires 
are things we have, not who we are. Our identity is not in our desires. This is something we need to know. Just because you have a desire doesn't make that a part of your identity. If that's the case, when I was younger, I wanted to murder my siblings. I chased them around with a kitchen knife. My parents told me that. <laughs> I blocked that out of my memory. That would make me a murderer. My identity is not a murderer. Your identity does not come from your desire. Just because I love pastries, I could bypass candy all day, but pastries, oh, some pan dulce or fresh baked cookies or a key lime pie, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, they make a dessert here on staff for whoever's birthday it is. And so um, when it comes to my birthday, Karen Angelo, she makes these thumbprint cookies. Oh, they're just to die for. And I could just like eat five of them, almost like 10 of them. That doesn't make me, just because I have a desire for those things, that doesn't make me define who I am. Your identity is not your desire, guys. The world around you will say you are your desires. No, your desires are a part of who you are. And guess what? Our desires can get distorted. But guess what? The Lord can redeem them and he can change and transform our desires. He can do that. He can give us new desires, and that's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that God would give you the power and the desire to do what pleases him. He gives us new desires. That is amazing. I love that. See, our bodies have value beyond this world. They are created by God, informed by him. They matter to him. And not only that, they're purchased by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. We'll end it out here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. This verse has meant a lot to me, but I want you to notice something. He says, you are not your own. If I were to ask you, which I'm not going to, how many of you are Christians and you guys would raise your hand, that literally means if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your body does not belong to you anymore, according to this verse. So you might think, I can do whatever I want with my body. No, you cannot. Jesus purchased your body. He not only purchased your soul, but your body matters to him, and he purchased your body as well because he's going to redeem that body and he's going to resurrect that body later on. Your body matters to the Lord. You and I are not our own anymore. If you are a Christian, that means your past doesn't define you. The things that have happened to you in your past, the things that you've done in your past are covered in Jesus' blood. They are washed white. You are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, God has made all things new. Your body is no longer yours. Your past is no longer yours. Your present is no longer yours. And your future is no longer yours. You might think you have ownership of it. God gives, allow you the choice. But the, the best thing to do is to give that choice back to God and say, God, would you choose? 
what I do for my future? Lord, my body is yours. Do you want me to do this? You need to pray. If you feel like getting a tattoo in the future and you like tattoos, you need to pray and say, God, do you want me to get this tattoo? Because it's not your body. It's his body. And he might call you to a location where tattoos could be offensive. I've been to different countries where tattoos are associated with gang violence. So whoever has a tattoo, they have to wear long sleeves or pants. Thankfully, I didn't have tattoos. So when it's like super humid outside in like the Philippines, it's like 80% humidity and it's like 90 degrees outside and everyone's sweating. I don't have to wear pants. I can wear shorts. (laughs) Your body isn't yours, guys, as a believer. And if you're not a believer, you're, un- you're living under the influence and the delusion that you can do whatever you want with your body. That's not the case. God has a plan for your body. He has a purpose. He loves it. He's crafted it. He's created it. And so our identity needs to be rooted in Christ Jesus. Our bodies, uniquely, individually designed. And he has a purpose for each and every one of us. I want to challenge all of you to pray this. How do you see me, Lord? Ask God that. If you have a problem seeing yourself a one way, and you're going off of your feelings, you're going off of what you have, if you're going off of what you do and what other people say, you need to go to God and say, God, how do you see me? Tell me. Follow it up and say, in what ways am I uniquely made in your image? Maybe some of you are better in math. God created math. (laughs) Maybe some of you are better with being creative, like me. God is the most creative. And then ask the Lord, what areas of my life am I holding back from you? And see what God can do in and through you as you surrender to him and he forms you into the, and forms your identity into what he has planned and prepared.